Let's open up God's precious word this morning. We're continuing uh, to go through our study of 2 Peter. And you'll remember that this is Paul uh, Peter's letter to a church that's um, in a region in which uh, they're undergoing intense persecution. And during that time period, he wrote 1 Peter to um, give them instruction about the hope that they can latch on to and how that will manifest in the way they live. Uh, in light of the coming persecution in this second Peter, he writes to them to, and warns them that during this time of persecution that the enemy is going to exploit that and try to send in among them and will send in among them false uh, teachers who will uh, advance false doctrine and, and uh, to warn them. And before he ever warns them to be on the lookout for uh, false uh, doctrine and those who would, would uh, promote it and what it will look like and what they will look like, uh, he reminds them of who they are and to make sure that their call and their election is sure. Um, and uh, we've been going through that to supply to their faith what they already have and to supply to the faith virtue, uh, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Encourage them that if um, these things characterize your life and they're yours and abound, you'll be fruitful. You won't be barren. You'll have a fruitful life. And in so doing that, you'll have confidence and assurance that you belong to the Lord. And so, um, <clears throat> he goes through that in Second Peter. Now, as we continue on the letter, we're going to go through God willing this morning, verses 12 through 15, and look at some things that... Uh, that uh, relate to God's fulfillment of what He promised He would do with Peter in the middle of his failures and be encouraged about what He will do with us, the same thing in the middle of ours. Um, let's have a word of prayer as we get ready to open the Word. God, thank You so very much for Your Word. We thank You that, that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of the, the God the Holy Spirit and it's profitable for us and uh, for everything that we need. And everything that we need for life and godliness we have through the knowledge of Jesus. And we're thankful, Lord, that salvation is not um, <clears throat> a creed, it's a Christ. It's not a plan, it's a man. It's, a, it's not religion, it's a relationship. And we're so thankful that we can look at the Bible and let the Bible look into us and not look at it as, as, a, as a rule book, but look at it for what it is. It's a Jesus book. And that you bridge the gap between us and uh, you created by and forged by our sin and rebellion and uh, didn't wait for us to come to you. We would have never done that. Couldn't have on our own. We couldn't have done it, nor would we have an appetite to do it. But yet, you came to us. We're thankful that Christianity is not about a man becoming a God. It's about God becoming a man in the, in the person of your Son. And we thank you, Lord, that you reached and redeemed us and we can sing that song with, with credibility this morning. And for those of us who have repented toward you and put faith in your Son, we're redeemed. We're redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray you open up, open up our hearts to what you'd have to say. I pray, God, that you would till up the ground and the soil of our hearts, make it ready and fertile and rich to receive whatever you had to say to us this morning uh, for our good and, and so doing that for your glory. As you, in greater measure, we pray, by the end of this day, form Christ in us. In the sweet name of your Son, we pray. 
Amen. Will you stand with me in reverence, respect to God's precious Word if you're physically able? 2 Peter 2, <clears throat> chapter 1, 12-15, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Uh, may be seated. Thank you for standing. We're looking at <clears throat> the title of this message this morning is Things Remembered and Things Forgotten. Things Remembered and Things Forgotten. You know what it is our tendency to do? And this is really a characteristic of the flesh. You know that when we get saved, we're in Christ. There are only two types of human beings. That's it. You're either in Adam and you're not in Christ, or you're in Christ and you're no longer in Adam. There's no um, hybrid. There's no such thing as being in Christ and being a little bit in Adam. We're either one or the other. When once we repent toward God and put faith in His Son and we're saved, we are transformed from being in the line of Adam to supernaturally being birthed into the, into the loins, the spiritual loins of Jesus Christ. When He died, we died. When He was buried, we were buried. And when He was raised, we were raised. And now, that's why the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That's what the song just said. We just sang that. I'm not who I used to be. Thank God. Hallelujah. I'm not who I used to be. And I'm not going to stay who I am now. In practice, we're being conformed to the image of His Son. So, when we come into Christ, we still, though, have the flesh to deal with until we're our future glory. We have the hope of future glory when we'll be exactly like Him. We will see Him as He is, the Bible says. But in the meantime, it's not a matter of the fact that we're in the flesh, but the flesh is in us. That's an important distinction. We are not in the flesh. It's not right to say, well, I was in the flesh. No, the flesh is in you, but you're not in the flesh. You're in Christ. Praise God for that. But the flesh still has the power uh, and, and that we give it and we assign to it to, to uh, control us. Uh, and so, the process of sanctification whereby we are being conformed to the image of Christ, the idea is that if we'll listen to Him and let His Word set down deep in our hearts and start obeying and trusting Him, then less and less control is wielded by the flesh and more and more is by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says... Do not be drunk with wine wherein is success or dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about before that that does not mean a one-time event. Everybody's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing process. It doesn't mean the Greek language there translates best not to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but to keep on being filled. We're always indwelt by the, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit when we get saved. There are many fillings, but there's only one indwelling. And that's when we got saved. But our tendency, because not that we're in the flesh, because the flesh is in us, it's our tendency to remember what we should forget and forget the things we ought to remember. Matter of fact, uh, there are plenty of people who abuse this book and in so doing that abuse God's people and encourage them, <laughs> uh, maybe to motivate them to holy living or whatever their motivation might be. They encourage them to remember the things they ought to forget 
and to forget the things in order to remember. And, and we're going to elaborate on that in a moment. But the Apostle here says, in verse 12, for this reason, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of some things. You know, uh, to be honest with you, in Christian witness and in the, in the, in the whole scheme of, of Christian uh, teaching, it's not really a matter of uncovering new truth, but it's a matter of taking truth and, uh, that's already been uncovered and, and, and passionately receiving it. We need to be reminding each other. Why? Because it's our tendency to forget. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful example of that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when he said, for this reason, and I've looked at that a lot. I've looked at that a lot and I go, what reason? What reason would, would you be reminding us of these things? I believe the reason is this. In order to enjoy, enjoy assurance in this life and the hope of eternal glory in the next. See, if we're in this zone where we don't have the assurance and we've not moved into an assurance of our standing with God and are anchored by that, then the devil loves that territory because he can render us pretty much spiritually anemic, ineffective. God wants us to move in and, and be anchored with a faith that we're assured of. And, 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 and that faith is, does come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And it's not based on works ever. Works are not the basis of our faith, but it, they are indeed the fruit of it. And in order to see if there's a root, we need to look and see if there's any fruit. Because if there's no fruit, there's no root. And He wants us to be rooted and established in a faith that we can enjoy assurance in this life and the fruitfulness that comes from that. Uh, anchored by the hope of eternal glory that we have in the next. See, the heart of the shepherd, Peter called himself a pastor. In, 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 second, in 1 Peter 5, he said, I, a shepherd, exhort you other fellow shepherds, you fellow elders, uh, and gave an exhortation to pastors. He called himself a shepherd. And the heart of the shepherd is not satisfied with superficial faith. The heart of the shepherd is only satisfied with those who receive faith, comprehend it, and apply it. If it's received, comprehended, and applied. Received, comprehended, and applied. It's not an abuse of the Scriptures to use this Scripture, but let's don't use it narrowly. When the Bible says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth, that doesn't just apply. And the spirit of that is not to physical children. It is to spiritual children. It means that. Now we can use it for our children. I've used it for mine. It evokes great joy when I see spiritual growth in my children. When I see them take a truth and it seems to take root in their heart and they start living it out, nothing's greater than that. You, I mean, that's I'm done. I don't care what happens to the stock market. I don't care. We don't have anything in it. But I mean, if I did, I wouldn't care. You know, but, but for, hey, you know what I'm talking about. You're nodding out there because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I see my children walking in truth and they look like that they've received it and they've comprehended it and now they're applying it. That's a big deal. But that Scripture is about seeing spiritual fruit come about in the lives of spiritual offspring. Now, if our children are saved, they're God's spiritual offspring, and we're discipling them. But it's, 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 it's church, through the, throughout the church. There's nothing greater than to hear a testimony of somebody inside the church who could, maybe, maybe uh, uh, is dealing with something, and God speaks to them through His Word. And then we hear testimony. I had a wonderful meeting with a member of the church a couple of weeks ago. He's here this morning. And, and, and I, 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 my jaw just dropped in the restaurant. I'm surprised I didn't fall out of the chair. 
because of a spiritual truth that was embraced by this brother and his family that I never see people walk in. And it, I walked out of there and I was like eight feet tall. I was thinking, God, you're doing something in this family. And, and what? What is that but supplying your faith with what you've already been supplied with to see it lived out? I cannot see your faith. You can't see mine. I can only see your works. And that's the only way you can see if the faith exists in me. God sees our faith. We're justified by God by faith. But our faith has credibility with men when it's accompanied by works. Works don't sustain faith. Works don't secure faith. Work doesn't secure heaven. Works don't secure salvation. But they do indeed give evidence of it. And the heart of the shepherd, whoever whether it's a pastor or whether it's a mom or dad or, a, or somebody you're discipling or somebody has discipled you, there's no greater joy that can come when you see faith received, faith comprehended, and it applied. If it's received and comprehended, that's good. But that's not satisfactory. Received, comprehended, and applied. And that's what the heart of this shepherd is saying. For this reason, so you can enjoy the assurance of your salvation and the fruit that comes from a well-anchored faith that's backed up by a life that is being changed. Backed up by a life that's moving forward in faithfulness. Backed up by a life that is making traction. You can tell that faith is moving forward. That, that I can take a spot in my life and, and, and analyze it in, in, in light of where I am now and see that there's some spiritual growth in my life. And that's wonderful. God wants us to celebrate that. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit convicts us. We're all too familiar with the Holy Spirit convicting us when we sin, but did you know that the Holy Spirit convicted you of righteousness? That was a righteous thing you did, buddy. That was a righteous thing. You just gave of yourself to your spouse and didn't expect anything in return. Matter of fact, you could have given back what you just got, but you didn't do it. That was a righteous act. And, and the Holy Spirit encourages us. We don't see the Holy Spirit often like that. I know I don't. That's what the Bible says He does. And so for this reason, he said, I want you to enjoy assurance in this life, the fruitfulness that comes from it, anchored by the hope of eternal glory that you have in the next. And the heart of the shepherd is satisfied with nothing else, nothing less than that. Superficial faith doesn't cut it. I marvel at these pastors who say, well, you know, we were studying a, 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 a how-to um, church growth book, and I had to endure the study. I had to endure it because the majority of what was said in the book was not biblical. Other than that, it was a great book. And one of the things that was said in the book was, it says, don't worry about who you've got. Worry about who you're yet to get. Don't worry about who you've got. Just worry about who you're yet to get. Is that the heart of a shepherd? It's not the heart of a shepherd. That's the heart of a chief executive officer. That's corporate church. The heart of the shepherd is nurtured faith. Faith received comprehended and applied. This is how he's speaking here. He's not speaking as a big shot apostle. He didn't think of himself that way anyway. God made him small so he could make himself big in him. And he said, this reason. I want you to enjoy that. 
And he said, I, want you, I don't want to be negligent to remind you of these things. There's nothing wrong with being reminded. There's everything right about it. That we take Christian truth that's already there, that you're already aware of and you already know, and we take it and we let it, we chew on it, we digest it, and we're anchored by it. We have a need of that daily because we live in a fallen world. We don't live in an environment that's going to encourage Christian faith. We're going to live in an environment that does everything it can to distract you from it. Your world is never going to line up. World is never going to line up to encourage your Christian faith. The world lines up to do everything it can to shut you up and to crowd you out and to douse the light that's within you. So we need to be reminded. I want you to, I want you to look at something here. When he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent. I will not stop reminding you of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Alright, now let's look at Luke chapter 22 for just a moment. Look at Luke 22. And we're going to look at... Um, <clears throat> Please, in, in um, verses 31 and 32, you remember that Jesus, just before uh, going and praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was arrested, and that led to the series of events that led to his cruci crucifixion, gave Peter a heads up that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And in this verse here, it says, these two verses, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. And you remember last week, or a couple of weeks ago, we observed that that you in the Greek is plural. So it wasn't just saying we're, Satan's asked for you. He's saying he's asked for you and all the rest of the eleven that have been following me. He's asked for all of you. Okay, it's not just you that we're singling out. But he's asked for all of you that he may sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you. That's singular. Peter, I have prayed for you. That's a personal God we serve. You're not a number. The devil gives you a number. God gives you a name. And so he says, okay, I've prayed for you that's, that, your, that, that, um, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The word strengthened is translated from the same Greek word from which established is translated in verse 12 of 2 Peter. Uh, of first, 2 Peter chapter 1. So when he says, go back to 2 Peter if you will, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. The word from which established is translated is the same word from which strengthened is translated in Luke chapter 22. So in other words, Peter's doing the ministry that Christ called him to do after having restored him from having denied him three times. Isn't that encouraging? He said, you know what, buddy? I'm going to take a failure like you. And every one of us is going to identify with that. I'm going to take a failure like you and, 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 and I'm going to restore you. And I'm calling you, the failure that you once were, to trust me and I'm going to work through you to strengthen or establish the church in the faith that will sustain them through the persecution that they're going to go through. It's a marvelous encouragement. So that's God's fulfillment. 
Peter is doing in answer to Christ's prayer and his instruction to him. He's doing through this book exactly what Christ restored him to do. Then he says in verse 13, Yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. By reminding you. Here it is again. I want to remind you. I want to remind you. I want to stir you up. We're going to fan the flames. We're going to remind you. And here again, He's fulfilling our Lord's prayer for Him in, uh, in, in Luke 22. Then when you look at Luke 20, uh, John 21, when God, when God um, uh, Christ encountered Peter, and Peter encountered Him in Luke 21 after He was raised from the dead, and that's when He asked Him, Do you love Me? Do you love Me? Do you love Me? Three times to affirm and restore him for three denials. It says in John 21.15, If you love me, feed my lambs. John 21.16, If you love me, tend my sheep. John 21.17, If you love me, feed my sheep. What is he doing? He's obeying God. I'll tell you something right now. When God calls you to do something, don't let the enemy so focus on your failures and your inadequacy to do it that you don't do it. You can nurse those excuses all you want. You can spiritualize them as a matter of fact. Well... I'm so humble, you know, and, um, and oh, it can't be me. You know, no, the Lord can't do that through me because after all, I'm super spiritual. Matter of fact, I'm more spiritual than God. And I've decided above God that I can, I'm not useful in the area He's called me to. And we can nurse our excuses and spiritualize them and make them sound like we're so thoughtful and so mindful of the holy that we disobey God all our lives. If God's called you to do something, do it. Don't look in the rearview mirror. Look in the front view mirror. That's what he's doing. He's about the business of establishing and reestablishing and using him to establish the faith and strengthen the faith of others when his faith was at its weakest. When his faith was at its weakest and he faced his strongest challenge and he didn't rise to the occasion, God took that and used him to establish people in the faith and strengthen them that we're going to go through the same thing. And then new birth, wonderful thing. In the new birth, a wonderful thing. He says, I'm going to remind you of things. You already know these things, but I'm going to remind you of them. I'm stirring you up. The Bible says that one of the reasons that, that, we, that we meet as a church, did you know this? The Bible says that we're to stir one another up to love and good works. That's part of the testimony time. Stir each other up. Hey, man, i got to figure, if God will do that in Nancy's life, He'll do it in mine. You know, if, he, if He's restored Him, look at a guy like Him. If He'll do that for Him, He'll do it for me. The Apostle Paul said, I'm a chief, I'm a chief executive officer of sinners. And God saved me so that other people look at me and go the same thing. God, if You'll save a man who used to persecute the church and had his mind on trying to destroy it and literally having Christians killed at His bidding to hunt them down, You can save anybody. And I'm telling you right now, that's my testimony. If God can use me, He can flat use anybody. And you should feel the same way. Be reminded of that. Stir one another up. Now, the language in verse 13 about stirring each other up, there means to thoroughly awaken from lethargy, uh, lethargy, drowsiness, or sleep. Just out of curiosity. I'm not trying to be extra biblical here, but just out of curiosity. Could you not think that might be a, just a little snippet, snapshot picture, a reminder to Peter of when he fell asleep? You ever thought about that? You know what you, you know what I'm talking about? When did he fall asleep? <laughs> In the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? And the Lord said, "Hey, listen. You watch and pray. 
You watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And what they wind up doing? They weren't able to stay away through his greatest turmoil, his greatest need of encouragement. And God ministered to the Son of God. But guess what happened to all the rest of them? They fell asleep. See, here it is. But you know what? You know what? I'm so glad that we don't know whether or not he meant that because he didn't bother to say anything about it. You know why he didn't bother to say anything about it? Because the guilt and the sin for having done that was taken care of by the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that wonderful to think about that? That You know what? I believe that's exactly what he was referring to. He said, I know what it's like to be in the middle of spiritual turmoil. I know what it's like to be in a scary hour. I was right there. And our Lord, and I, I, you know what? He had sweat on His brow of blood spilling off of His brow because of the fact that God, the Son of God, knew that He was about to experience the wrath of God that my sin calls for and yours. And Jesus was going through all of this turmoil. Father, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass, before, pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You imagine in the middle of your greatest pain, facing, the, facing what no man has ever faced before and no man will ever face again, that those who purported to love you the most are over here going... <laughs> and they found a rock somewhere or someplace to just lay down and curl up and there you are dealing with that business knowing that these people who are asleep right here beside you are the ones you're about to spill your blood for. Peter could have gone into all that. And boy, he could have just absolutely ruined himself and just gone through a pity party. But he just mentions just enough of it according to the dictates of the Holy Spirit to just give us a little bit of encouragement. Listen, stay awake. It's good advice from one who fell asleep. And you see here, a lot of times we're asleep at the wheel. If ever it seemed like in church culture, we're in a state of lethargy as now. If ever, if ever we're in a state of complacency, it must be now. If ever we're in a place where we don't think things eternal, it must be now. If ever it's been a place in which our priorities are misguided and not dictated by the heart and mind of God, it must be now. If, if ever, if ever there was a place when the church has got her eye off the ball, it must be now. It must be now. Surely it must be now. And if there ever has been a need for a time of revival to be wakened up from our spiritual slumber, surely it must be now. Surely it must be now. I told you, and shared with you a couple of months ago. Joe was with me and so was Brother Ken. And we went to a funeral of a guy who we knew in our previous ministries. He died. He was a professing believer. I served pretty close with him um, at a previous fellowship. Knew him rather well. Matter of fact, I was wearing a tie he gave me yesterday. I was thinking about that. Joe at the funeral he gave me a tie. He always gave me fancy ties that I didn't deserve to wear. Most of them I got ketchup on. Anyhow, I, so, so um, he... Uh, I, and, he, and he was a clear profession of faith that he knew the Lord. And we went to his funeral. And I kept waiting. And I kept waiting. And I was just looking at my watch as I'm thinking, okay, unless you intend for this service to last a lot longer than it's, it's normally lasts, um, you ain't got much time to get to the gospel. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And his pastor never shared the gospel. 
and that funeral message. And I thought, now if that's a pastor who's that asleep, then what does it say about how we're leading the sheep? <laughs> I could not believe it. And Joe will tell you, I'm telling you the truth. Matter of fact, I kept my mouth shut, just waiting when we got in the car with Joe and Ken to see what they were going to say about it. I just I, I withheld comment because Joe would go, you, should, you don't say anything because I know what you're thinking. And I, you know what? I can't help it. I can't help it. I cannot help it because this guy was a stockbroker and he had clients there. And you don't have a stockbroker unless you have means. And he had people there who were well-dressed, who had an opportunity, who came to his funeral. He'd been dealing with business with over 26 years, and they packed out the funeral home, the same one where Al was. And they packed it out to overflowing. And that guy got up there and never, as far as my recollection, ever mentioned the cross. That is lethargy with a capital L. I mean that. I could not believe it. And I, that's not the first time I've experienced that at all. I'll tell you right now, I can't imagine a pastor not preaching the gospel at a church, but at a funeral home and at a funeral service, when you've got people there and you've got one shot where people are beginning, because there's a casket typically up there, to maybe think about death when they don't normally think about it. And you throw away that opportunity. That's spiritual lethargy. We need to be stirring one another up. I wonder how many people are around you and I. The Bible, the reason we had that psalm read this morning is because I was waiting for the guys to come for the Bible study in Douglasville. And I had about an hour. And I was there at Chick-fil-A and I was reading my Bible. And I read that psalm and it says, I will declare of your salvation every day. I thought, God, would you put me in a position to tell somebody I don't care if it's a tree about your salvation every day. Tell the praises of the one who... I'm not talking about as a, a rule. Not like, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Now go out and everybody do it at least once a day so you can go check it off. But no, but at least have enough of an upward orientation to go, you know what? If you know me for any length of time, like we've talked about with the testimony of Lazarus, you think that you could get around Lazarus post-resurrection and that not come up? Come back again. And I'll tell you about the time I was raised from the dead. I don't think so. I was raised from the dead. That's the first thing you get when you walk in his door. I was raised from the dead. I've got to tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you something right now. You and I were no less raised from the dead than Lazarus. No less at all. Praise his name. Stir it up. That's what we're here for. That's what I'm saying. Stir it up. If the flame is burning low, fan it. As a matter of fact, there's a weekly fanning of the flame every time we take that supper. That's God going and blowing the embers. Hey, ratchet up. You're alive and you used to be dead. And the only reason you're alive is because of me. And I didn't just say you're alive and make you alive. I had to act to do that. I had to sacrifice my only son on the cross of Calvary to make you alive. You're alive. You've been redeemed. Hallelujah. Let's get out of our spiritual sleep. That's what we need to remind it of. We need reminders because it's our tendency to forget or neglect spiritual truth. The book of Hebrews was written for that. The book of Hebrews was written to warn them not to be dull toward the Word, not to doubt the Word, not to dismiss the Word. That's the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. Don't be dull toward this. 
Don't be dull. I'm not talking emotionalism. I'm talking about spiritualism. Spiritualism may lead to emotionalism. Or it may not. But at least be anchored enough to say, this is what's true. And He snatched me out of the grip of a sure hell and has gave me the assurance of a sure heaven. See, we need to remember the things that we tend to forget. And we need to forget the things that we try to often remember. The Lord's Supper is His time of remembrance for us. Look at 2 Corinthians. We're going to participate in this in just a minute, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 24 and 25. I mean 1 Corinthians. Did I say 2? I meant 1. Sorry about that. Try to stir you up. See if you'll wait. It says... 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, and He said, This cup is a new covenant in My, in my blood. Do this in remembrance of Me. You know what I'm so grateful for? Peter's concern was not that they remember him. Peter says, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to see to it that you have a record of this. God's going to see to it. We're going to put it in the, he's going to put it in the Bible. And we're going to see to it that you have a remembrance of these things because I'm in a tent and I'm about to leave it. Don't you love the way he put that? You know what? We used to have a, a financial ministry at the church we was at before and I tried my best unsuccessfully to call it pitch a tent. Pitch a tent ministries. Because the Bible says that the righteous man, an unrighteous man or a wicked man builds a house, but a righteous man pitches a tent. And the reason he pitches a tent is is because he's not going to be here long. Amen? Scott gave me instructions about pitching the tent. I'm so grateful he did. It never got pitched unless he and Thomas were there. Because we contorted it moved it every other way except the way it was supposed to go. And we pitched a tent. But we pitched a tent. We didn't build a house up there. And when we go up there to camp, God willing, in a couple of weeks, I hope nobody brings any brick and mortar because we're not going to build a house. Mike, we love your skill, but we don't need it because we're not going to build a house up there. We're going to pitch a tent. And I'm in a tent. And I'm here to tell you, I'm groaning and cannot wait till I get shed of this tent because I've got an internal dwelling in the heavens with Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. Amen. Amen? And that motivates me for holy living now. So listen, listen, listen. These remembrances, these remembrances have everything to do with how we relate to one another. If you withhold forgiveness towards somebody else, the reason you withhold the forgiveness towards somebody else is you have not remembered how much you've been forgiven. You can't, you can't divorce those two. There is no divorce there. The motivation and the epicenter of holding out bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody else, if you're a believer, is because you have lost sight and forgot to remember how much you've been forgiven for. And when once you survey the wondrous cross and remember how much you've been forgiven for, then it makes it very insignificant and trite and petty whatever's been done to you. You can't divorce those two. See, this, this is not just a little remembrance thing where we go by and just check things off. It has everything to do and has direct, not just implications, but impact on how we live. 
If you, if you in the Christian life lose your gratitude, if you lose your gratitude, that's one thing we're going to do. We're going to thank the Lord. This do and remember something. If you lose, thank you, Lord. We sang two or three songs about that this morning. If, if you lose that gratitude, it means that you're not remembering how unworthy you were to have God's favor. You, you've lost memory of the fact that Christ died for you not because you deserved it. Christ died for you not because of what's in your heart. But Christ was motivated to die for you because of what's in His. See, these, these are not little insignificant points. And Peter knew that. Remember. Remember. Remember those memories, the, the, the remembrances. Because false teachers are coming and they're going to cause you, and this is what they're going to do. They want you to remember things that you should forget. And they're going to want you to forget things that you should remember. See, he just said a while ago, he said, if you don't supply your faith with these things, supply your faith with virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. If you don't do that, you'll be short-sighted even to blindness and you will no longer remember that you've been cleansed from your past sins. You're fodder for the enemy. Because the memory of my past sins... Listen, the gospel doesn't change your past. And it doesn't change mine. But it changes the meaning of it. And whereas before my past was a basis for accusation, now it is an impetus for praise. Because all of that junk I've been cleansed of. It's gone. And the guilt associated with it, it's gone. Don't bring that up to my memory. Accept this as a crescendo of praise that I have been redeemed. So this is what the false teacher does. They're going to say, I want you to remember some things that you should forget. And I want you to forget some things that you ought to remember. That's what this church is about. To forget things that we ought to forget. And remember things that we ought to remember. That's incredibly important. Because why? Every bit of that has a direct, direct, direct bearing on how you live and how I live. Praise His holy name. We're pilgrims. He'd been all too, they've been all too familiar with tents. That was a Middle Eastern nomadic way of living. And those tents meant one thing. Portable. <laughs> Portable. Amen. Hallelujah. We got a tent. Don't build a house but pitch a tent. Angel got mad at me one time because Joseph said they were going to build a tent. And I said one Sunday, just pitch a tent. She said, oh Lord, we're not going to get a house now. He's been talked into spiritual reason for having a tent. Have a tent in the front yard. Because it's brief. It's another thing to be reminded of. Life is like a vapor. And we vest everything as if we're going to live here forever. In the present condition. It's but a vapor. Need to be reminded of that. But see, if you're reminded of that, it changes everything. Remember that you don't be here forever. Then all of a sudden, when a neighbor like ours turns 95, I'm thinking, we got to go over and get the gospel to her quickly. Because when you're 95, you're in the two minute warning. Aren't you? If you're 95 minutes, you're in the two minute warning. See, we need to forget the things. We need to forget 
We need to remember the things we need to remember. I'm not going to be negligent in reminding you of these things. I'm going to stir you up and get you out of your spiritual lethargy through the Word of God. That shortly I'm going to put off my tent just as my Lord Jesus showed me. In John 21, the Lord showed him. Look at John 21. He not only showed him he was going to die, but he showed him the means by which he was going to die. It's one thing the Lord to tell you, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to be martyred for your faith. He told him how he was going to do it. Oh, he says in John 21. Verse 18, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, look up just for a second. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and go where somebody else leads you. When you're old, somebody's going to stretch out your hands and you go where somebody else leads you. You've got to die on a cross, buddy. Tradition has it he died on the cross upside down because he didn't want to be, didn't deem himself to be worthy to be killed or crucified the same manner that our Lord was. You stretch out your hands. <laughs> There's a cross for you. But I love you. And I'm going to restore you. I'm going to burst the church through you. I'm going to do incredible things to you. And by the time he got there with the God, he was fine with that. He said, you know what that is? That's just going to be my exit from the tent to the place that's been prepared for me. By a worthy God. Don't build a house, pitch a tent. Stir each other up. Stir each other up. You know what? Um, we've talked about this analogy before, but the Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things behind, I press on to the upward call and the prize that I have in Christ Jesus. And we talked about this before when we were going through Philippians. If our spiritual car, if we had a spiritual automotive, most of our spiritual automotives would have a little bitty front windshield and a giant rear windshield, rear and rear view mirror. And so we would be we're barely able to negotiate forward because we can't get beyond what we keep looking at backward. See, the the automobile is designed on purpose. I'm glad they did this. And it's designed with a big front windshield and just a little bitty rear windshield just so that we can gain perspective and see what is back behind us. But it's a lot smaller than the windshield is. And, and our spiritual automobile needs to be like that. The rear view mirror is just to look back every now and then and go, and just kind of smile. You know, <laughs> every now and then I'll smile at Paul and I'll see him sitting back there and think, golly, that's the cutest little boy. And I tell my children, I'll be sitting there looking at him and say, oh, the prettiest youngest I've ever seen in my life. Youngest means children in South Georgia. And I said, so, and, and, and I just, but you know what? You look through the rearview mirror and you, and you see all that junk. And you just look for just a minute. You don't keep looking. I don't want to go anywhere with you if you keep looking in the rearview mirror. And, 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 and you don't keep looking in the rearview mirror. But just look there every now and then and go, God, look what you've delivered me from. Look what I used to be. And look forward to what you're making me. Hallelujah. 
We need to forget the things we ought to forget and to remember the things that we're going to ought to remember. 